This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Good morning everybody, this is the weekly program from Wesley Broadway Church coming to you courtesy of Manawatu People's Radio. I'm your host John Thornley. Today we're going to pay respects to Herrick Sidney Easton, known as Sid, who died on Saturday the 4th of February. The funeral service for Sid Easton was held in the Central Baptist Church on Monday, 13 February, and the church was filled. I have with me in the studio today two members of PARS, the Prisoners' Aid and Rehabilitation Society, A.D. Transon and Gary Buckland. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, and good morning to everybody. And also with me, my wife, Gillian. We're going to cover today Sid's life, particularly as a volunteer. We'll talk about his work in PARS, we'll hear about his church work, we'll also hear about his involvement in the local Thursday tramping group, and we'll play two hymns. going to pass over now to Gillian, who is going to introduce Colin Gibson's He Came Singing Love. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you. Good morning. This hymn is well known to quite a lot of the Methodist people anyway, and a lot of Union Church people, I'm sure. He came singing love. Colin Gibson wrote it about 50 years ago, and he submitted it to a hymn writing competition. It came second in the competition. Uh, Don't ask me what came first. Uh, It was a hymn that didn't survive for very long at all. Uh, But this particular hymn has taken uh, the – well, it really takes the essence of the message that comes to us from the gospel and it challenges us to carry it on. So that the words go like this, He came singing love, He came singing love, He came singing love. He died singing love. He arose in silence. For the love to go on, we must make it our song. You and I be the singers. And then there are three further verses. Same words except love is replaced by faith in the second verse, peace in the third, and hope in the fourth. 
these are all attributes that were certainly aspired to and displayed by Sid Easton. Colin Gibson actually conducting a Dunedin choir augmented by congregation singing his song He Came Singing Love. Now we're going to hear from the two workers from PARS and I'll start by asking A.D. Transon to introduce the work of PARS and in particular the role played by the volunteer visitors. Thank you A.D. Uh, Kia ora, John. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today. It's really nice to have some time to talk about the work that we do, but also to talk about uh, Sid's role in the organisation. Um, so Manawatu Pars has been around for 62 years now. Mm, we celebrated mm. our 60th anniversary a couple of years ago. And Sid was actually chair when um, when we celebrated that. So he was um, front and centre in those celebrations. Um, the work initially started was done by volunteers um, and um, it really focused at that time around supporting people in prison. Um, you know, things were pretty difficult, particularly if, if people in prison didn't have a family support outside of prison. 
So our volunteer team um, would go in and visit them. Um, I think at the time did some chaplaincy services mm. in terms of just you know being a social visitor and being there for people who were struggling. Um, but we've had a, a very strong team of volunteers for the last 25 to 30 years visiting the Manawatu prison every week um, to meet with the prisoners and support them in ways that you know, that they need it um, for about, I might get the dates wrong, about 15 to 20 years there's been employed staff. Gary will remember. Yeah, even longer than that, actually, because um, Carol was a, a paid um, member of staff and then Audrey came along. So Audrey was in the role for 10 years and mm. then there was the um, the period where Part was in control and then... So, and then I was in the field worker role for um, almost 10 years, nine years. Uh, so, yeah, it's about um, probably 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a question. Do you have to have the prisoner's permission to have a visitor? Or, I mean, before the visitor comes? Yes, you do. These days you do. Um, if you want to become a visitor to someone that you know in prison, the, the, the prisoner themselves has to initiate the contact. So they have to send out the um, visit application forms to the people that they want to come and see them, um, which is really helping them to distance themselves perhaps from people that they don't want to come and see them. So it's. I think it's a a fairly sound system for, you know, having the right people coming in and visiting. What sort of training do volunteers get and support? Yeah, so they do get they do, do an induction with PARS. So we do a full-day induction with PARS, but they also have to do the induction annually with the prison if they're mm. going into the prison. So they have to become a, um, a specified visitor. So they have to become someone who is initially approved to be allowed to go into the prison, and then they, if they, they must complete that annual induction before they're allowed to go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of people are volunteering, age, gender? Um, I'd be fair to say that our volunteer group's getting on in, in years, um, but we, we do have younger ones come through. We also, uh, as an organisation, support social work students and other um, people working in that sector from the Wananga and from Yukol, and they are obviously much younger. We do find with them that... Um, they often don't want to do, haven't thought of doing placement in this type of work. But once they come in and see the the scope of the work we do, they really become very interested in um, perhaps choosing that as a career pathway when we, when they do come out of student uh, out of um, study. So Gary's worked closely with a number of those students, particularly mm. students from the Wananga. Um, and we really see growth and interest, don't we, when mm. they, when they mm. in the time that they spend with us, yeah. We're keen to get more volunteers. We've got a number of new programs starting up, so um, we're always interested in getting new volunteers. Mm. What is the um, phone number of the local office, just in case anyone listening would like to put the phone number down? Yes, so the 0800 number is the best number, so it's 0800 727 700. Yes. Yes. I've got a landline one here as well. Yeah, you can call I'll that out that, too. Yeah, so three five seven nine two one eight. Yes. Yeah. I guess you're always looking for volunteers. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we are. Because we you, we've run quite a few um, different programs now, and um, prison visiting is just um, one of the programs. Some of the programs that we do run. Um, uh, take place in the prison, but we have quite a few different initiatives now. Mm. 
Would you like to talk about the Dads and Books and the um, Peace Program? Yeah, yeah. so Dads and Books has been running for probably over 10 years now. And that's a program where a group of volunteers do go into the prison and they work alongside dads um, and we refer to them as dads when they're on the program and they write a story for either one of their children or all of their children. Uh, the volunteers work alongside them and support them as much or as little as they need. Um, obviously, there's technology issues. We can't do it on a computer. It's all done manually. Um, and once the once the book is finished, the book is produced, and we have a, a wonderful volunteer, Graham Brown, who videos the fathers reading the story, and we then deliver the book and uh, a, a data stick with with dad reading the story to them to the family. Um, yeah, so that's a very it's a it's a great program to be part of. Our volunteers love doing that work. Uh, we also have a new program called the Peace Education Program, which we trialled in the prison in twenty twenty one. Yes, just to get our dates right. Um, and that, that's an international program by the Prem Rowat Foundation that's been run in, uh, around the world in over 80 countries and it's been developed uh, to be um, appropriate across cultures. So it's also been developed in 40 different languages and it's run in some, some of the toughest prisons in the world and has a very, very positive impact. What's the title of that program? It's called the Peace Education Program. Oh, Police. Yeah, peace. 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 Oh, Peace Education. Peace, sorry. Peace Education. So we were really excited to be able to run that. Unfortunately, we couldn't go into the prison at all last year um, because of COVID and because of staffing shortages. But we're really pleased that we um, have had um, – some communication from Manawatu Prison to say that we can start our programs running again. So we're very keen to get them up and running. The Peace Education Program we're particularly looking for facilitators for and we've got a very comprehensive training for that. We'd like to run it in prison and we'd also like to run it out of prison as well. Thank you, Aidy. That sounds very exciting. Gary, you're involved in something called Fellowship House. Would you like to talk about Fellowship House, please? Yes, well, Fellowship House is a, an initiative that was set up by a group of uh, Christian um, people probably about 23 or 4 years ago. Um, they um, collected the, the money from various churches around the place and purchased a, a house which uh, we've named Fellowship House. Doug Edmondson, um, a, a, a quite well-known um Anglican um, priest uh, was instrumental in him and, and his wife, and they liaised a lot with the um, faith-based unit. Um, Nevin McEwen was a chaplain out at uh, the faith-based unit at the time, and there was a close relationship um, between him and Doug, and they, and uh, some of the other people formed a, formed a trust and uh, purchased this house. It's a it's a six bedroom house. Um, at a location in uh, central Palmerston North, and uh, we house up to um, five um, prisoners um, newly released. Um, we tend to work with uh, people who um, have who are serving long sentences. We um, we um, house a lot of um, lifers um, people whose connection with the uh, community has been severed by their by their sentence 
And the object of our work is to uh, provide uh, transitional accommodation. So we usually have the uh, people in Fellowship House for one year and um, we help to transition them to more sustainable accommodation and also into full-time work. So some people um, find their feet a little bit quicker than the than the one year, and uh, and and that's a good thing. And some people take a little bit longer, and that's something that we can um, work with. Also, um, we're uh, a totally uh, volunteer organisation. Um, the organisation is broken into two structures: a trust, which oversees the um, governance of of everything that's happening and a, uh, a management committee which does the um, hands-on uh, work with the people. Um, so uh, each person who um, we work with has uh, two volunteer people assigned to it, a, a primary support worker and a secondary support worker. And those uh, people's uh, job is to... Um, is to support and uh, and mentor um, the men as they uh, go through their journey of reintegration back into the community. This sounds incredibly challenging but important work because I can imagine lifers and those with long sentences or people without strong family support outside uh, have to be totally helped again, what, to manage money? Well, you know, somebody who's uh, who's served a twenty twenty five year sentence, which a, a lifer may may well do, um, they're going to be totally um, lost at some of the changes yeah. that are in the community now. For instance, you know, going to a, a self service um, booth at a supermarket, you know, they that wouldn't have been a thing twenty years ago when they were moving around. Um, you know, the cell phone technology and, you know, there was probably probably no Bluetooth um back then. So, you know, there's a whole lot of um things that they um that they have to learn on top of the uh of the hardship of actually uh, you know, reintegrating and um and learning to um manage their lives again because when people have been in prison for a long time they lose all of the things that they actually need to survive on the outside like mm-hmm. confidence and initiative you know, when somebody's in prison um, if they need to roll a toilet paper they stand at the uh, stand at the bars and bang on the bars and say I need a roll of toilet paper but when they're on the outside they need to roll a toilet paper they have to have a, at least a dollar and they have to go to the supermarket and get one so you know they the the transition from prison to living back in the community is huge and you know that's a very simple example of of a challenge you know you can imagine some of the more um, sophisticated challenges and then you know, a lot of the people that uh, end up in prison have other challenges as well uh, head injuries uh, mental health um, you know, literacy, you know, all of these things. It's and a so huge task. Do you it, help, it can be a huge task. Do you help yeah. to rebuild the links with Fano family? Um, as much as we can, as much as we can. Um, and if, if, if that is possible, uh, in some cases, um, you know, in a very, um, you know, a very serious, um, offense, there may be, uh, 
say the family may be in the South Island and the victim may be in the South Island. So there's a, there's a thing called a, a victim um, notification register and um, sometimes when life is particularly a release, there'll be conditions that they can't return to the South Island so they can only um, be in the North Island. So um, establishing connections with uh, with family is, is, is very hard. Um, um, some of the, you know, when there's conditions like that, we, we recently had a case, someone released um, from prison and his mother was elderly and uh, sick and um, he he couldn't actually um, see her before she died so that, you know that's that's very hard I can hear what you're saying Gary and the listeners too what a challenge and what commitment it requires from the workers from the volunteers mm. so thank you for sharing both of you I just want to comment quickly on Sid as a lay preacher in our Methodist fellowship I'm really repeating again some words I shared at the funeral. We have seven preaching sites in the Manawatu, West Waituna, Martin, Fielding, Ashurst, Pahangana, Akalthri and Wesley Broadway. Sid was a very intelligent man and read widely, but he didn't let academic prowess get in the way of his communication. He never was a show-off. He came from a farming background and he spoke in words that our small rural congregations understood and appreciated. So we're very grateful for Sid's ministry in our church. Now Gillian would like to say a few words about Sid the Tramper. Thank you. Yes. Uh, When Sid was getting near to retirement, he one day said to me, "Um, you're in a tramping group, aren't you? He said, I think I might like to start some tramping, I haven't really done it before, and how fit do I need to be, and things like that. And I said, well, you can just come along and try. You don't have to do anything to join our group. Uh, You know, I'll look after you, you come along and have a go if you're free on a Thursday, because our group, we called it the Thursday Tramping Group. And so... When he found a Thursday that he could be free on, he said, oh, I'll come tramping with you. And so we went tramping together. And, of course, he found that it wasn't the really difficult thing that he thought it might be because people were saying, oh, the Thursday trampers, they do really hard trips and perhaps you should go on Wednesday or not at all or get fit first and all that. So, of course, Sid didn't need any of that because Sid rode his bike all around the town anyway. (laughs) And that does actually make you quite fit. So he came along and he was absolutely captivated by it from the beginning. But at that stage, he was still working and uh, the first time he came. And so it was only very occasionally. And then once he was free on Thursdays, He was there whenever he could be. And uh, we were tramping up and down the Tamarua Ranges and around about, and it was, you know, really good, hard tramping, some of it. And we were in a group of anything from about eight or nine to as many as 25 people, usually, Though on our list we had a lot more than that, but people came when they were able to. 
And he very quickly fitted into that group and welcomed other people into the group because it was his way of working Mm. that, you know, he had all of those skills of making community and of working with people, of being there, of developing things himself, but of caring for all the people around him and noticing. And so he was wonderful in terms of creating community and his friendliness and helpfulness with the people. Now, thank you, Gillian. That's said the tramper. You have the task now of introducing Colin Gibson's hymn, These Hills, which we sang at the funeral, and it's a magnificent hymn. Briefly, Jill, what's it all about? Oh, well, These Hills uh, is a lovely hymn. I'm just searching for its words. It is about the landscape of New Zealand, and that is something that really captivated Sid. He just loves being out in the open and the landscape of the country. Uh, But the words of the hymn take us through about five verses, and they deal with uh, the hills where the hawk flies lonely, the beaches where the long surf rolls, the mountains where the snow meets heaven, and he says, these are our care. And then the second part of the verse turns to the much more to what we pray about. It says, Pastures where the sheep graze calmly, orchards where the apples grow, gardens where the roses blossom, these are our prayer. And so it goes on talking about other things in the uh, in the world, things in the uh, in the wider community, and the things which we are doing and which affect us. This so is Colin Gibson's hymn. hymn, "These Hills," and we'll close off this tribute to Sid Easton, one of the great men of our city. In fact, one of the great men. Sorry, uh, woman, men. <laughs> Of Aotearoa, there's no doubt about it.
you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.